Yeah, so it's tricky for the sort of the families we support. So not everybody obviously has access to technology, internet, etc. So it, it, it was really tricky to provide that support. I'm Mark Riddell from M3 Networks. We are an IT support and cybersecurity specialist because we know that running a business is hard enough as it is right without IT causing more headaches and frustration, which is why we aim to make IT an enjoyable experience for our customers. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, check us out at m3networks.co.uk. In this episode of TechSess, I'm joined by Amy Anderson, who is a senior fundraiser for Children First, who are our charity partner for Q2 2022, running from April through to the end of June. If you don't know, our charity partnership fundraising is where we convert all of our customer satisfaction feedback into money. So for every positive review that we receive from a customer, that equals £1 raised for a charity. So if you're an M3 customer listening to this, make sure that you continue to leave us feedback on the closed tickets from our help desk and encourage all of your colleagues to do the same because the more feedback you give us, the more money that we donate to charity. Hi Amy, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. It's nice to have a catch up. I mean, obviously, I mean, I've known you for a while, Amy, in your previous life. Yeah. And we've spoken recently about your new role at Children First. So maybe tell people a little bit about your background, what you did before, how you've come to be in the position you're in now, and a bit about the charity and kind of what you guys do. Yeah. So thank you for having us and being our charity partner for the quarter. Yeah. So we met, like you say, in my previous role, working for a travel company called in Dundee. Before all that, I've worked in travel since I left school, since I was 17, and then worked my way up. I'm originally from the back of nowhere in Aberdeenshire, and I've worked in Aberdeen, Glasgow, and then Blatley, Dundee, in a whole host of roles in mostly corporate travel. And my last role, I did a range of stuff within the business, one of which was business development where I networked and I think probably where I then I ended up meeting you. Yeah, the networking events uh, you guys used to run. Yeah, yeah, and I used to host one as well. It was quite hard work, actually, to run your own networking event. Yep. So I did that. I'd been thinking about a move for a while because I set myself a name when I was 17 and I was right. I actually wrote to companies asking to take me on as a junior. Where I was so ambitious and I was going to run my own branch within the 10 years. And I did. I got to that stage, which is actually, once you get into the industry, pretty hard to do, considering there's so many people and obviously only one manager role. And once you're there, you usually stay. But when I got there, I was a bit like, what else? I think I was 26, 26 going on 27. And I was a bit like, now what? What am I going to do? Apart from actually running a company, I've kind of achieved what I wanted to achieve. And I didn't really want to go to another travel company, a bigger one, where I could have maybe looked at other avenues. And obviously lockdown helped a lot in terms of reflecting and thinking about what I wanted to do. And I really enjoyed the business development aspect of my last job. So yeah, I wanted to do something that meant something that was going to bring a benefit to somebody. So yeah, I looked at maybe the charity sector. Obviously lockdown didn't help with job hunting and things like that. Yeah, I went for a few charity jobs and some of them just didn't feel right. And, you know, I was very much like I am in a privileged position. I still enjoy travel and 
you know, I love the planning aspect of it, but there was just something I just needed to change. And, and I was like, I'm only moving for the right job. And this position with a Children First as sort of the senior fundraiser for the corporate partnerships really caught my eye. And once I got my interview and, and, and met with the director of fundraising and my boss, who's the head of philanthropy and partnerships, yeah, it just something really clicked. It isn't just sort of going out and pounding the pavements and not chapping on the doors of corporates and going, give us your money. It's building an actual partnership and you know, it's not just fundraising, there's pro bono volunteering stuff that we can explore. And it's something that will, you know, help us as a charity, but also help and benefit the corporate as well. And it was just something like that that really, really clicked. As working at a corporate and I arranged the charity stuff in my last job, you always thought it was just about funds. Oh, I need to raise money. I need to raise money for a charity. And it, there's so much more that you can do. That really opened my eyes and yeah, and I was really chuffed when I got accepted, got offered this role and yeah, didn't really hesitate to take it. Bit scary leaving sort of, you know, the role that you did as soon as you left school, but um, it was really, really good. Well, tell us a bit more about Children First then. So in terms of like maybe a bit of background, like why was the charity started? Kind of what is the kind of primary kind of goals, who you're focused on helping? Yeah, so Children First is Scotland's national children's charity. Supports every child nationwide to live within a safe, loving family and communities. The idea of a children's charity was founded way back in the 1870s. In New York, it was because there was a child being badly abused and there was no laws in place to protect children for that. But there was rules for animals. So basically, it was this eight-year-old girl called Mary who was being abused by her parents. A missionary came in and tried to get the police involved. They said, well, at the end of the day, the child is property of the parents. They can do what they like. So she got Animal Society involved and they basically took the child away and prosecuted them as cruelty to animal, as an animal, as a human species. Oh, okay. And then that's sort of where the child protections society started to grow and grow legs. So the first one was in the UK, was founded in the 1880s. And 1889, the Scottish one was formed, which is where we stem our roots from. Throughout that time, obviously, we've went to protect children from abuse, neglect, harm, which we still do today. But obviously, with the way that the world is, we it's grown arms and legs. So in 1995, we became Children First as we are today. Still doing obviously the same initial protecting children from neglect and harm, but also other aspects of abuse and neglect. So we work with children and their families as a whole unit to provide tailored, made sort of practical and emotional support and trauma recovery, as well as money support and advice, which unfortunately, due to the cost of living crisis at the moment, is increasingly needed. So we do have service centres across all of the country offering a range of support depending on the needs of the family and within the community. So each service centre actually offers slightly different on top of the usual Children First services. So um, when you do speak to a service, it's amazing to actually see what all the work that they do. It's just extraordinary within the communities. We also have a national parent line and money advice helplines as well. So anybody can phone with any sort of issues, whether it's regarding, you know, child's acting out, they're not doing well at school, whatever. 
or money issues as well. We're sort of there to help. So we do so much more, but that is sort of the, the nuts and bolts of Children First. You know, we're a tech company, obviously, in a tech podcast. Mm-hmm. I kind of have to ask about technology, obviously, I guess, with the support as well. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's the need to protect children online massively yeah. these days. Plus, internally, as a business, obviously, technology will play a big part, especially over, I know you've appreciate you've just recently joined the charity, but obviously, over the last couple of years, how has the use of technology helped to kind of still support families, given that the face-to-face stuff probably wasn't there as much as what it was before? Yeah, so it's tricky for the sort of the families we support. So not everybody obviously has access to technology, internet, etc. So it, it was really tricky to provide that support. The phone lines were still open, so we were able to give support. And as soon as we could, we were, you know, out in people's gardens, giving support and advice to children and families. As soon as we could get out to people, we were obviously quite lucky because as sort of rules dropped, it was summer, the initial lockdown, yep. if I remember yep. right. <laughs> There's too many to remember. <laughs> yeah, so we were out there straight into the gardens and then and in our service centres as well, where we've got facilities to do outdoor stuff. We were able to do that. And then obviously, as soon as we were able to go indoors, straight in there, obviously following COVID guidelines and everything like that. So yeah, that was very tricky to navigate. But yeah, you know, just sort of had to do the best we could because these issues didn't go away, unfortunately, for children and and their families. Of course, yeah. And they still needed our support. And how about like internal technology? You obviously alluded to earlier, you're working from home kind of permanently. so. How are you guys using technology internally within your team to kind of communicate and to carry on kind of doing that? I wasn't there two years ago, but yeah, things did change. So before COVID, everybody was in the office. Like obviously in my role as a fundraiser, I would have been in the office if I was with children first before COVID. But I would have obviously been out in the road a lot more as well. So within the team, we use Teams all the time, SharePoint all the documents and stuff like that so very much cloud-based and making use of the microsoft technology that we've got we've all got laptops and phones that connect somehow i don't really know how (laughs) (laughs) a word document appears on my phone i have got no idea how it works it just works very well connected yeah yeah do you guys have internal it yeah Yeah. so your it department must have been uh, they would have been busy anyway during lockdown Obviously, we had some customers that were already kind of set up to work remotely mo- in, yeah. in, in that mobile environment. But a lot of businesses suddenly realised, how do we get people working at home as if they were in the office? And I think one of the biggest problems actually wasn't really the computer side of it and software side of it. It was really the telephony side of it. Like, we've got a phone system yeah. that's in the office, but how do we get people access to the company phone system when they're at home? And the businesses that didn't have like a hosted VoIP, you know, phone system that could be, you know, people could have an app on their laptop or whatever. Businesses that had traditional on-premise phone systems, I think, really struggled because you can't just pick that phone up, take it home, plug it into your router and it'll work, you know. Yes. I, you can vouch I for that. I can vouch for that. Yes, I lived through that in my last job. That was, it was quite hectic and trying to just re- divert phones to mobiles and because there in my last job there was just sort of the two of us sort of working so yeah it was just diverting the phone and then on the mobile going right okay if I don't pick up within 30 seconds then divert to them and then they've got yep. the same one and it was just like and then holidays oh god yep 
didn't get started when holidays came on the go. It was just, it was just chaotic. And, and diverting a call coming to you is, is one thing, but I guess the biggest problem is calling out. Like you can't call out through the company number so that you end up no, phoning customers on your own phone. And quite often it's your personal phone. And then of course, people never look at the number that's, that they're phoning back. So the customer then phones just, back just pop, to your yeah. personal mobile. And now all of a sudden, your customers are phoning you and your personal mobile, not phoning through the business. So yeah, it creates all sorts no, of I, headache. It does. Yeah. I mean, I was okay in terms of that. Although saying that it was Vodafone that we used, still actually use Vodafone at Children First as well. I have got no idea why Vodafone does not work in my house. <laughs> Even with Wi-Fi calling, it just doesn't work. So in my last job, it was diverting from the mainline phone to my mobile to then diverting the mobile to my own mobile so I could actually speak to somebody and then calling out, I was just like, oh, crazy. no, here we crazy. go. Yeah. I think probably what a lot of companies realised was that their phone, the cost of their phone bills probably went up because when you divert a number, you pay for the diverted call. So the person calling, they only pay to call the number they dialed. Any diverts yeah. after that that you put in place, you pay for those. So if you're a business that deals with a lot of incoming calls, a lot of businesses have probably seen their, their bills kind of shoot yeah. through the roof. Yeah. And I guess a lot of businesses probably over the last two years have gone and ditched their old school phone system. I've got something a bit more up to date and modern now that has the flexibility to allow people working from home. It's interesting. I did a podcast um, with our phone provider, Enfon, about this a few months back. And they're saying they've seen so many people when they get a new change of phone system, they're going handsetless, like they're not having like a physical desk phone yeah. anymore because with the app yeah. on your phone or on your laptop and a headset, I mean, that's the benefit of, of working from home is that everyone has a headset now connected to the laptop. So all you need to do is give them the soft phone app and then that is basically their extension. Yeah. So whether they're at home, whether they're in the office, sitting in Starbucks, whatever, their phone's always with them. You know, their company desk phone's yeah. always with them. So. You never get that, oh, well, I can't transfer the call because they're not in the office. Well, of course you can, because it doesn't matter where they are, your office is wherever you are now. You yes. have no such thing yeah. as, oh, I'm in the office. I'm always in the office. You know what I mean? If I've got yeah. my laptop open, I'm in the office. It's weird now, even putting in like my out of office going, I'm, I'm not in the office. Well, actually, I'm never, you know, <laughs> never in an office. Kind of like, I'm never in an office, yeah. so I'm away from my desk now. Yes, away from the desk. <laughs> So yeah, it's interesting. I always like to see how businesses deal with technology. And I know obviously having done a lot of work and we've got a few charities that we, we're their IT support provider for quite a, a uh -huh. number of charities. And I understand how the third sector works and quite often technology is something that's a bit of a luxury to have in a lot of charities and they have to make do with what they've got. They maybe don't have the luxury of like an internal IT department or being able to work with someone like us. So which is one of the reasons why we actually discount our services to charities to make yeah. it easier for them to have that. Because even though they're a non-profit making organisation, you still have to have the same technology that a business that's making millions of pounds a year yeah. has, right? Because they can't do without it. Although you say you use a lot of the Microsoft stuff at Children First. And I know that obviously Microsoft do have the charitable partner licensing model, which mm -hmm. all our charities that we support, we got them to go through that process so they can get access yeah. to all the Microsoft tech a, like for a fraction of the price which is fantastic because so many examples of saving charities hundreds of pounds a month on licensing which they, of course as you know you can use that money to do 
what you do and yeah. support families and children and stuff that need it rather than paying out on, on technology. So it's good that that exists. The Texas 10. So one of the things I always do, Amy, with any guests is I always ask them the Texas 10 questions and then you know, I don't know if you've listened to any episodes or not. Sometimes it's best if you haven't, when because you won't know what's coming. Okay. <laughs> but these are just a series of questions designed just to kind of let people a bit of an insight into you, a bit of fun. And people always say that they quite like answering these questions because it gets them thinking about stuff. It's not just all business related, which is good. So the first question is, if you had a hundred million pounds to spend, what would you spend it on? Oh, Probably the usual stuff, like your house, the car, family, houses and holidays, probably. Obviously, I would donate something to charity, obviously. Um, and probably volunteer rather than work. And I'd probably invest in something. I was going to say maybe F1 because I'm a huge F1 fan, but that might probably use all of my money anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll get a wee tiny like logo sponsor yeah. or something. On the you, car. Could, um, you could start that business making those screens for the laptops for the garden I could couldn't ah, there we go yeah. I have to ask though predictions for F1 this year who do you think is going to win the title at the minute it's looking like Charles and Ferrari isn't it I think it's going to be between them and them and Max, Max. I think that's the title race yeah. I think yeah actually it's pretty good actually I, I, I do like them both so and I was actually controversial rooting for Max Anyone that knows me knows that I'm a massive motorsport fan. I love anything where there's competition and engines and yep. the noise and the smell of it all is like it's like a drug to me, you know. Mm. But everyone assumes that you'd be an F1 fan. But the thing is, F1, I mean, until last season, F1's a bit too sterile is the way I describe it. It's yeah. a bit boring. I like things like British touring cars where it's that bumper yeah. to bumper, door to door, like really, really mm -hmm. close, tight racing. Been to Knock Hill a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, and you get three races in a day in the touring cars, plus there's all yeah. support races. And so for me, that that's a bit more exciting. But Formula One, where it's like 60, 70 laps of something, and then like I want five cars to be bumper to bumper in the last lap, and you've got no idea yeah. what's going to happen. To me, that's that edge of the seat. Yeah, exciting no, definitely. Part of it. The thing is with an F1 race, but halfway through the race, you know who's going to win the race, barring yeah. a disaster, yeah. you know? So... F1, I started watching a little bit more last year because I thought, oh, Max could win this. And it was quite exciting. It's a wee bit of excitement, um, yeah. And this year again. And, you know, the thing is, what I think, what last year did was, I think it got so many people, you know, switched on Hooked. to F1. Yeah. So I think the, this year is probably massive viewing figures, despite the fact that obviously Lewis isn't doing that that well. And I've never really been much of a fan of him anyway, so. No, I've watched it since, I can't even remember. Apparently I watched, I remember my dad going, oh, you were there when um, Ayrton Senna died and watching Imola. And I'm like, dad, I was one. Yeah. <laughs> like, how? And it was always kind of like my dad would take me and I would just sit on my dad's knee and watch it. So I've probably watched it since I was months old. Yeah. So it's kind of been engraved in me, to be honest. Um, yeah, and I've got my boyfriend hooked on time <laughs> as well. So it is kind of now just the thing that happens. So, yeah, but no, I was a huge Kimi Raikkonen fan. Mm. And then, obviously, I then sort of gone on to the younger ones now. So, they seem to be just, there's a bit more of personality to them. So, yeah, I like Lando, Max, and I, I do like quite Charles as well. So, yeah, any of them, I'm quite, so I'm quite happy with this year. There's a bit more 
it doesn't matter who wins, I'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Next question is, is what is one of the most important things that you've learned in your life so far? Oh, I think during lockdown, I was quite reflective and I think I've learned quite a lot during that. So I, I lost my dad quite young a few years ago. So realise life is too bloody short mm-hmm. to dilly dally about stuff. Just go for it. But then I think lockdown as well sort of just made me realise I need to look after myself because I was running myself in the ground all the time. I'm like, I got into fitness. I really got into it. I'm like, do you know what? Just look after yourself and do what you want to do. So I think, yeah, I've kind of over the past sort of three, four years, yeah, I've kind of gone, nah, you need to just look after yourself and, and do what you want to do. So, yeah, I think that's probably a big lesson that I've learned. Yeah keep yourself uh, I always say that it's funny when you're young because it's always about you're trying to kind of get into position and you want to earn money and buy a house and stuff like that mm-hmm. but I think once you've done all those things for me it's like the number one thing is health if you feel good and you're healthy and you look after yourself that's more important than anything I would rather yeah. take being healthy and you know problem free like that from a health point of view than money any day yeah, I remember always when I was younger, like early 20s, going, if I can earn 30k by the time I'm 30, I'll be happy. And I'm like, actually, does it really matter? Yeah. Not really, to be honest. If I'm happy in myself and I'm healthy, then that's all. If you've got enough money to pay your bills and do the things that you want to do, that's, well, that that's, that's, enough. that's, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Okay, next question is, does pineapple belong on a pizza? No, warm fruit, yuck. See, that's what I say. No. See, the funny thing is, though, I used to use the warm fruit argument and then someone said to me, but what about apple crumble? And I was like, ah. I maybe wouldn't take what I say with, with food and drink because I don't like hot drinks, so I don't drink tea, coffee or hot chocolate because in my head, drinks should be cold. <laughs> and, and Yeah, what else is my other thing? Yeah, fruit. Fruit, so that's my big thing. I don't like tomatoes or lettuce or anything like that in a burger because it goes warm. I don't like that either. So things that people would think is normal and they like, I don't like because in my head I'm like, no, no, fruit, veg, no. Although apart from kale, kale needs to be cooked. I tried it the other week, cold, and it was minging. <laughs> but yeah, warm fruit, no, no, no. And for that reason, I don't like apple crumble either. Uh, see, I do like I do like a good apple strudel or apple crumble. So I can't use the warm fruit argument anymore because someone pointed that out to me and I was like, oh, okay, got, got me there. But definitely, <laughs> you know, pizza, nah, no, no pineapple, thanks. Next question is, you're walking out on stage. What's your walkout song? What, what's your theme tune? Oh, my music taste is weird. Everyone says it that. It goes though. from. I think everyone goes. It yeah. goes from like Venga Boys to like Biffy Clyro. Like, like that could be the actual order of my playlist. <laughs> it's really, really, really strange. Yeah, I've got to either say Avicii and Levels. Oh. I have a wee bit of dance. Although I do dance quite badly to that, so maybe not for an embarrassment levels. Or Kanye West, All of the Lights. Now, I don't like Kanye, but this song is banging. And I, all, I always feel, <laughs> this is going to sound hilarious, I always feel gangster when <laughs> it's on. I feel like I should have my cap on sideways and I'm like, yeah. 
Yeah, I think everyone's got a Kanye song that they like, but maybe not really a fan of him, to be honest. I think that's mm. he's one of those people that he's always got a song that people will will wear. So yeah, yeah. I like that song, but I wouldn't really listen to an album. If you could have dinner with three people of your choice, either dead or alive, who would you choose? I should probably say my family, shouldn't I? You know, the funny thing is, don't feel guilty about it because not many not many people do actually include, uh, which is surprising. Most family. people tend to pick kind of famous people. I'll pick famous people, but if my family's listening, I'll pick you. I'll probably go David Attenborough. The abundance of krill attracts other visitors to the peninsula. Probably Lucy Wurzel, who is a historian. Okay. I'm very much into my history. And... I would actually probably go Kimi Räikkönen from F1. When you made your Formula One debut, he was only three years old. That probably doesn't sound too good. <laughs> Is he as dry as he comes across on TV? Yeah, that's what I like about him. I like when you see him in interviews. And I like that. I like that. Yeah. To the point. Like, you know what I mean? We sunnies yeah. up. And it's might not get much chat at a dinner party with him though. Drink though he likes to drink. You just sit there so. in the corner and come out with like the odd one liner that would be hilarious. <laughs> well, well, David yeah. Attenborough does all the talking. Okay, so if you could have any superhero power, what would it be? I would say maybe something like Wolverine super healing because I am Colum. <laughs> I am head to toe in bruises at the moment with making furniture. So. Um, yeah, and cuts even is actually as well. My hands absolutely covered in cuts. So yeah, I would say super healing because I am so. Cold. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, you stub your toe in the middle of the night, you know, and it's like it just heals instant, you know, because that's like the worst pain oh. ever, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, that's an interesting one, and actually, I don't think anyone said that. So there you go. Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck? Or a hundred duck-sized horses. Well, easy. A hundred duck-sized horses. I am terrified of birds. Petrified of birds. I will cross the street to avoid it. Really? <laughs> uh, there has been many occasions we have walked down the street and my boyfriend turns around and goes, where are you? And I am the other side of the street because there was a pigeon beside him. <laughs> He's none the wiser, but I'm like, <laughs> on the other side of the street. I blame growing up in Aberdeen and Aberdeen. Pigeons. Uh, sorry, seagulls. Oh, yeah. Seagulls. The size of Labradors, aren't they? So there you go. That, I think that's probably why. <laughs> Not a fan of Trafalgar Square in London then. You know what it's like. <laughs> no, no, no. We've spoken about going to like Venice and I'm like, no, can't go because the birds. <laughs> that is, I know it's, it's so bad. And like um, where I where I grew up, there's a lovely like um, pond and it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And we did a thing, um, memorial thing for my dad's, would have been my dad's 50th birthday. So we did a thing to say thank you for everybody for supporting us. And I was doing a speech and there was a baby swan coming up and I was just like, I actually forgot everything and I just went, love you dad, miss you. Right, let, let's go, let's <laughs> go, bye. That's <laughs> just like, I'm so sorry, but I just couldn't concentrate. I couldn't do anything. So, yeah. And I, I really wish I could get over it. I just, and I do think just, it's fine. What they are going to do to you? But I'm like, I just can't. Every time I go into town or anything like that, I'm like, it's fine. They're not going to hurt you. But no, as soon as I you get You have to it, pick your travel good. destinations carefully. Places where there's not a lot of wildlife, especially yep. birds. <laughs> what? 
piece of advice would you give to your 16-year-old self? Oh, probably, I don't really, like, go back and go, oh, I wish I did this differently. So I probably just don't worry, it'll all work itself out and be nice to your family because I was a horrible, I was a horror of a teenager. So, yeah, be nice to your family. If you had a time machine, would you travel to the past or to the future? I'd go back, definitely go back. I love history and I always, always wonder um, what it's like to live during, like if you're watching like a TV programme or something, I always go, I wonder what it would be like to live in that time period. I think that's maybe why I like Outlander so much. So like the main character Claire sort of goes back 200 years through stone circles and she's got to obviously adapt to that and I, I just love that the, especially the first sort of two three series they're like really good mm. um, and I, I'd really enjoy it for that got a, a connection on LinkedIn who has been over the last few months has been posting these videos from like the early 1900s like very early video from like early 1900s 1920s uh-huh. and there was one in London. There was one in, it was somewhere in like the north of England, kind of Yorkshire. I can't remember the name of the town. And then there was another one recently in Paris in like the 1920s. And the thing is, a lot of them have been like colorized, you know, so that they're in yeah. color. And like, it's amazing watching it. But again, like you say, when it's like you see horse and carts, plus they've got trams, you know, through the town and stuff. Yeah. And then you see the way people are dressed. Everyone's so smart and like, look, all the little boys going mm-hmm. with like shirts and ties on and like cats and stuff. And, and like you said, it's like, but there's no sound, but some of them have artificial sound added to kind of give you the, yeah. improve the video to give you an idea of what it would be like. But I guess it's the sound and the smell of what it was like is the thing that you can, uh, you miss from the video. But it's fascinating yeah. watching these videos. I like can, the video from 1920s, I think that's like a hundred years ago and they had yeah. video and they were filming that. That's like, in fact, actually, the one that I seen that was in the north of England was from about it was pre First World War. It was the early nineteen hundreds. Okay, you're watching this thinking, "Hang on a minute." A lot of the little kids in this video were probably going to be going to war in about I think it was about nineteen oh six or so. So it's about twelve years away okay. or whatever it was. Yeah. I was thinking a lot of these little boys were probably going to be sent on away to war, yeah. and, and they've got no idea. Another thing that always yeah. fascinates me as well is that you're watching these videos, especially like London, Paris, was obviously full of people and thinking every single person in that video is dead. Like, I know that's quite yeah. a kind of morbid thing to say, but it blows my morbid mind to thing, think yeah. that no, everyone yeah. in that video, like that's how old that video is. That's just what yeah. kind of blows my mind to think that even the young kids yeah. that are not alive. And if they are, they're definitely over 100 years old. So yeah, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. Most of them are all like on Facebook and it's like, oh, what? I think I followed Dundee and Aberdeen, what it was like in the past and like all the old streets and stuff like that. So I think it's usually a weekend thing. I end up like sort of on there. But I think the last weekend I looked at it and it was um, Aberdeen. It was like Union Street and just like, you know, like the main street in, in Aberdeen. You're just like, my goodness, like just the sheer difference mm-hmm. and, and sort of going oh, and try to work out where that is in relation to the day. And you're like, oh, that's where like HMP yeah. is. Yeah. You know, just things like that. And you're like, wow. It's usually just the odd building left that you can pinpoint a lot. <laughs> right, okay, right, I know where that is now. I remember going on like the Glasgow tour bus when I used to live in Glasgow. That was one of the things I always wanted to do. So I think it was a birthday present and we went. 
they were just like, oh, just look up at the buildings and you'll see like all like all these different like statues and different like bits and pieces. And it was all like to do with like different people who owned the buildings. And then I'm like straight off the tour, like Googling them all and things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm very much a history buff and I just, I like to find out what actually yeah. happened. So the final question, you've maybe already covered this, I guess, in what you said earlier, but obviously this being the TechSS podcast, meaning using, you know, technology to help businesses, organisations to be more successful, then what does TechSS look like to you and within Children First? To me, very limited. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be so good, like when I was at school and everything like that, I always had the most up-to-date phones. I was actually thinking about this, actually, because I felt like we were probably going to touch on things like this earlier on this morning. And I was like, I just started reminiscing on all my old mobiles that I had. I was just chuckling away at myself at this ridiculous phone I had. It was, I don't know if you'll remember, it was like a Samsung and it was like the swivel one. And it had like, it was like a bar and it had like two dials like along it and it was just a slither and it had like a wheel. I don't remember that one. I don't think it really lasted very long. It wasn't a very good phone, if I'm being honest, but it was cool and I looked cool at school. So, you know, there you go. But I think it was obviously designed to be like towards like the music type of thing. Because I had like the wheel, like the iPod and stuff like that. But I think it only held about 10 songs. (laughs) So it was a bit hopeless. But I had all the latest phones and now I'm just like, iPhone, once it's gone, I'll buy it. Like a new one, like I'm not, and I would have bought back in the day, I would have gone, oh, I've got the four or buy the five and six, et cetera, et cetera. I would have done that. Whereas now I'm like... What's different? Yeah, I think it's because <laughs> we've kind of plateaued. Because like, I remember back in the day, like, phones, there was so many different, like, every manufacturer, phones all looked different. They all had different, because they, yeah. they were all trying to find something unique that people would want to buy their phone for. And, of course, yeah. when the iPhone came out and was such a success, everyone copied that design when they got rid of the, yeah, they got rid of the keyboard yeah. and stuff. So nowadays, when you look at smartphones now, they all have the, pretty much the same... Just look yeah so now Lock. yeah we've probably plateaued with smartphones yes yeah, smartphone wise yeah i'm a bit but i am probably more i would be more apple than anything else in android my work phones have been android and i am hopeless with them in my last job i actually begged my boss to give me just an e-sim so i could just use my iphone because i was just like kept forgetting it couldn't use it i'm like it's a Samsung. Like, why can't I just use it? It should be simple. I just couldn't get my head around it. So, yeah, I am. Um, yeah, I'm probably you would maybe cut me open and probably I'd bleed apples <laughs> because I've got an Apple Watch. I've got an iPad, a phone. Yeah. Man. When you buy into the Apple ecosystem, it all works very well. I always say to people, to get the best out of it, you need to have multiple devices from Apple. The Texas 10. Is there anything in technology that is a pain for you? Is there anything you wish you had or could be better, uh, you know, that you maybe you guys are doing internally as well at Children First? Is there anything that you haven't solved? I'm quite actually surprised from going from my previous job, which was we very much had to focus on computers and tech and stuff like that. And I was actually on, you'll laugh at this, a tech panel. It was a consortium. It was a bit like a chamber of commerce, but for travel. And went and shopped around and tried out different products and stuff like that for tech. And then would kind of go, we want to go with this one. I somehow got involved in that. 
And I remember it was during lockdown, we were, I was at home doing the meeting and they were speaking about APIs. And I remember my boyfriend walking past and he did computing at uni. He knows his stuff. And he's like, you know what an API is? And I actually like put myself on mute and turned my camera off and just went, give me a crash course right now. What is it? Because I have got no idea. So I don't know how I kind of ended up on that. But obviously I touched on like the likes of the phones and we never use cloud storage and stuff like that. So to actually come to children first, everything's on the cloud and everything's sort of, to me, it's brilliant. But at the same time, I'm like, where do I find stuff? It's very confusing. So I think it's more me that's just not used to it and, and, and still getting used to it and trying to find stuff. So And the labyrinth of folders that is online and stuff like that. So, And that's obviously adoption from you know, COVID and stuff, which I think is really good. And I think obviously we need to take forward as a majority of fundraisers now, which are about, I think there's about 20 of us-ish, all now work from home. We obviously need to adapt that and stuff like that as well. So yeah, I think that will be key. And I think as well, video calling has been so great. I cover all of Scotland in my job. So, you know, there are times like someone was trying to get me to have a face-to-face meeting in Glasgow in a few weeks' time for half an hour. And I'm just like, you know, before COVID, we would have just jumped in the car or the train and you're just like, can we not just do it virtually? You kind of feel bad though these days, I think sometimes when you say to people, you simply say, do we have to meet face-to-face? Like, it's not that I don't want to, but you're thinking like, that's a couple of hours of driving time that I could be doing something else. Plus, obviously, you've got to think, and, and again, you know, in any business, but especially in charities, you're thinking, well, is it the cost of fuel, you know, and mileage? Then you've got to think about, of course, nowadays, if we're all thinking about the environment and ways to kind of do what we can there, and you're thinking, yeah. why am I going to drive all the way down there? And plus... If I have to meet in teams, it will definitely happen. But if I drive down there, I could get stuck in traffic. There could be an accident. I could get a puncture. Then you've got to find somewhere to park. And then like, there's all these other things that complicate it. When I go, I can literally just press a button and join you in a call. Yeah, I think that's kind of been the revelation, hasn't it, really, of of lockdown is you can actually just do it and you can still be pretty productive and do have a productive meeting. Yeah, There are, obviously, you know, I don't think you can, you know, face-to-face is the best way to do it. But I think... You know, in terms of, like you say, yeah, the environment, the cost of fuel, that was that, you know, I just filled up my tank for the first time. That's scary. Time. I think since, since it went up, that was in scary. I've got a Fiesta and it cost me £65 to fill wow. it up. It was quite frightening. So, yeah, you know, things like that. And you just think, do you know what? Like, why don't we just do it on this? Yeah. Because it, it, you know, we can still be productive and, and, and get what we want from it. I say anyone that was sceptical of not being able to do it beforehand, I think the last two years has proven that you can absolutely do it, you know, remotely. Yeah, it's nice to meet people in person and I do enjoy being back in the office and being with people as well now. But I think sometimes it's a case of going, let's do what we need to do remotely. And then if we want to get up together, like on a more infrequent basis in person, you know, then yeah. do that too. But let's not make every meeting in person just because we can. Of course, there's a bit of a rush to get back out now because everyone's probably been stuck at home for two years so it is nice it's a novelty isn't it to get in your car and and everything else as well and you still feel weird walking into a shop without a mask on and like that kind of stuff so we're still adapting to going back to the way it was it's nice seeing people's faces again though i think especially like you know when you're at the checkout or in a shop staff being able to see people and 
because I I don't know about you, but I see when people have got a mask on, I find it really difficult to make eye contact when someone's wearing a mask. I don't know why. It's because I guess their face isn't very welcoming when they've got a mask yeah. on. It's my big thing was I always smiled at people. So like even with like, a mask on. <laughs> yeah, I used to. Um, so when I when my old job, I worked in St Andrews, and I would always go and get like my fruit or whatever for the for the week from Tesco. And I always remember just smiling at the person that was standing at the end of the self-checkouts. And I'm like, every time I would go, they can't see you smiling, you idiot. <laughs> and because usually nine times out of ten, my fringe is too long, like they never see my eyes either. So I'm just like, you're not smiling just like, at anybody. Nobody can actually see your face. I was like, why is this person just staring at me? Like they don't realise yeah. they're smiling. <laughs> yeah. It just shows you how much of your uh, how much of your interaction is more than just speaking to people. Yeah. Think, you know, whether it is, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm more than happy that we've ditched the masks now. I'm mask free. <laughs> well, thanks very much for taking the time Thank to join you me for having uh, Amy. But it's really interesting. I've known you for a few years, but it's really nice to kinda of get to know a little bit more about you and the way you think and kind of kind of what you're into in your in your past and stuff. So um, so thanks very much. We'll hopefully between us and our customers, we'll do some great fundraising for you guys over the next few months. So over April, May, June. So we'll uh, Bab, look forward to it and thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, no problem. Well, thanks very much. If you'd like to find out more about Children First and to get in touch with them about anything that's been discussed in this episode, then you can visit their website at childrenfirst.org.uk. Texas is an M3 Networks podcast. Find out more at m3networks.co.uk.